B, and uh, he's going to be in a synagogue today, but let's put the next slide up. Last time I mentioned a few words in kind of current parlance, um, and we did a little quiz, and we want to do this with some phobias and fears, okay? So get into little groups with a few people around you, and to make it interesting, uh, there's going to be a prize for the group who uh, gets these right. I'll just read them through. And I'll give you three minutes. So the first, the first fear is descenderphobia. What's that mean? The second fear is globophobia. The third is nomophobia. The fourth is chorophobia. That's quite interesting, isn't it? The fifth is sesquipedalophobia. And the last one is my favorite Hexacoisioihexi contahexaphobia. I hope if, if any of you have got those, Bev will get you healed before you leave the room today. So just quickly in your little groups, what are those six phobias? See, see which group can do best. Yeah, no, no Googling, of course. No Googling. How are we doing? You got them all yet? Okay, let's, let's, see. let's see how well you've done. Any group want to go for number one? Hang on, hang on. Fear of walking downstairs. And this is one of the phobias that Donald Trump has got. You know, he, he held on to Theresa May's hand. He's probably got lots of other phobias as well, but we won't go there this morning. So... Fear of walking downstairs or going down an incline. I oh, will look for hands next time. Globophobia. Hang on, hang on. Yes, the fear of balloons. Who knew that? I think we've had a globophobic in church, actually, so watch out. Right, watching for hands. Nomophobia. That they, they got their hands up first, I'm afraid. Fear of garden gnomes. They're heading for the chocolates. Peter's just uh, passed an exam as a London tour guide, so this is all part of his spiel. So, uh, okay, hands again. Chorophobia. The fear of clowns is chorophobia. Mind you, with those killer clowns, you probably need to fear them, don't you? The fear of clowns. Got it. Okay. Sesquipedalophobia. We have a, one over there. The fear of long words. Fantastic. So why not have a really long word that means the fear of long words? It's like, uh, why is dyslexia spelt like dyslexia? Okay. Hexacoizoi. Hexiconta. Hang on, hands down. I haven't finished saying the word. A phobia. I thought I saw a hand over there. Fear of, fear of shapes. That's an interesting one. Then a hand over here. Fear of Greek food. That's a good try. That is the answer. The fear... Of the number 666. Who got that? 
So it's these Greek scholars. You didn't go to Google, did you? Right, you're disqualified going to Google. Pete and Debbie, you win the chocolates for honesty. Now, there's two fears that... Uh, don't eat them all now, Pete. Keep, keep them, keep them, keep them for now. Two fears I think we, hope we haven't got today. One is aquaphobia. What does that mean? Fear of water. You're not aquaphobic, are you? We're going to get loads of water, and we're going to put Noel and Millie right under the water. And it's lovely and freezing cold. And I hope we haven't got a fear of following Jesus. Apparently, there's no word for that, so that's good. You're not afraid of following Jesus, are you? So it's brilliant. (laughs) Uh, It's great. So they're getting baptized soon because they've decided to follow Jesus, and we want to celebrate that. And they're full of faith and not fear today, and we want to join you and celebrate the faith that you have. Before we baptize them, before we hear from them, we want to do another step in our series of following Jesus, Where Would Jesus Be? And Scott's going to read the passage. It's Luke chapter 4, 14 to 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widower of Zaphirath in the land of Sidon. And there, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Thank you very much, Scott. So we're looking at where would Jesus be, and we're looking at his life and how we can follow him. If you put the next slide up, please, Jess. And so far, we've looked at where would Jesus be, and firstly, he would be up a mountain. He would be up a mountain, or he'd be in a desolate place in the wilderness, or he'd be in a secret place quietly at home, and he'd be there to pray to God his Father. And that was Jesus' habit, 
That's what he did with his life. He needed to get up early in the morning, get away from people, get away from the crowds, and just spend time with Father God. And if we want to know where Jesus would be, one of the places is up that mountain with his Father. And if we want to follow Jesus and live for Jesus, that's a fundamental thing, to have that personal relationship with God, whether it's up a mountain or in a park, whether it's uh, a quiet place in your own home, to connect with God day by day is a crucial thing in following Jesus. And we all know, and I know, it's fraught with difficulties and distractions and things get in the way and you think, well, I could spend that time with God, but I'll just do this, this, this and this and then I can't because I need to go out to work, whatever, the time's gone. But if we're following Jesus, we want to find that place to be in fellowship with Father. Secondly, we learned he was in a river. And why was he in the river? He was in the river being baptized. So if you want to follow Jesus, he wants to know where he'd be, there's up a mountain praying, but then there's in the river getting baptized. And one of the first steps in our following is being baptized. And it's wonderful that we have a couple of people here getting baptized today. It was a wonderful occasion, Jesus' baptism. There's probably lovely countryside and nice warm water in the River Jordan. And so we wanted to kind of approximate to that here. So we couldn't quite get the River Jordan. We've got a paddling pool and uh, we couldn't have nice warm water, I'm afraid. So we get it straight from the mains. It's so pure and it's poured into a paddling pool outside and it's absolutely fantastic. I was soft when I was baptized. I was, went to a, a Baptist church and they had one of those pools in the room so it was kind of nice and warm so I was soft but we're hardcore now. Actually I, I, did, I did cause a, a stir and a splash in my baptism. So we're in this pool in the middle of uh, um, this hall and this little pastor was baptizing me and he didn't put me in the kind of right place uh, at one end of the pool. And I didn't realize there was kind of stir went on as it happened because I was in the pool. But he, he took me back and he realized halfway back that my head was going to crack on the side of the pool as he baptized me. So he managed to kind of slip me under. I missed it by about half an inch. There was kind of a wave went off across the congregation and there was kind of a gasp. I didn't realize what was, I was just kind of getting baptized. I missed that, but that happened to me. So we're, we're playing it safe. We've got a paddling pool. Outside, no one's going to crack their head on the side of a paddling pool. But as a special concession to our baptism candidates today, and to me and Scott who are getting in the water as well, John Putley has brought some power lines, and he's got this little tank. And he's, he's a retired physics teacher. He knows about how these things work. And so he's putting the mains water in, freezing cold, and then he's sucking it out, putting it through a little tank with a heater in, and putting it back again. So, I don't know, John's probably out there doing that. So it's, it's going to be, with all that effort, it's going to be slightly warmer than freezing. But we thank John for all his efforts. But if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to know where he'd be, he'd be in a river, being, as John walking around in his kind of Arctic clothes outside, just walking past the door there. He'd be in a river getting baptized and for me it was a significant step in getting to know Jesus was being baptized November the 23rd 1980 
a long time ago now. When Jesus was baptized, what happened? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came on him like a dove. And he heard his father's voice saying, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And if we're following Jesus, if we go, John, give him a round of applause. If we follow Jesus in baptism, we can hear God the Father's voice saying, You're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's great. The next step, which isn't so good in one way, is where did he go after that? He went out into the desert. So the wonderful River Jordan, beautiful countryside. And then he's out in the desert. And why is he out in the desert? To be tempted by Satan. So it's not always easy following Jesus. Uh, how many know it's not plain sailing? Not a bed of roses, trying to be a Christian, trying to live for God. It's not. But we follow in his footsteps, and he's gone through all situations in life. And he goes from a high to potentially a very, very low, a dark time, uh, a time of testing and tempting. But he wins through that situation. And I think without going through it all, you can listen to it on uh, our website or buy a CD from Conrad over there. I think that Satan tempts us with a view that we fail and we let ourselves down and we hurt other people and we let God down. And he tempts us with situations, he tempts us with things going on in our lives to get us to fail and to let God down and to miss out on how we should be living. But I think God is also in these situations. And if you read the passage, it says... Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God was involved as well. But God tests us. We can go through hard times, and it's a testing, but it can be a testing from God. But God doesn't tempt us wanting us to fail. He tests us to refine us and make us stronger. So those desert times can be hard times, but the point is that we defeat the work of the enemy in our lives through the power of Jesus and we grow stronger in our walk with God. We're looking at the book of Revelation in my house group at the moment on Thursday nights and constantly it says to the person who overcomes, I will give this blessing or that blessing and you can't overcome if there's nothing for you to overcome. You get those tests, you get that tempting but in Jesus you can overcome and then last week I wasn't here but Jesus was on a beach and in a boat and he was calling people to follow him and I think a baptism service is wonderful people are saying I want to follow Jesus and that's an opportunity for us if you've never made that decision in your heart you could say today yes I'll decide to follow Jesus or you can think about your commitment and your baptism uh, before and say, I want to recommit myself to Jesus. I want to continue to follow him, and it helps us to, to recommit. So today, before we hear the testimonies, uh, not too long time, where was Jesus? He was in a synagogue. So what's that about? Obviously, at the heart of worship in Israel was the temple, 
and that was in Jerusalem, and that was the center of national worship. There were animal sacrifices going on. Uh, It's really good that you don't have to be a butcher to be a priest um, anymore. But that temple was destroyed, wasn't it, in AD 70, and we don't need it anymore. And so, in some ways, the temple is a good picture for us, but it points to the fact that Jesus is the sacrifice once for all, that he's abolished the need for animal sacrifices and temple worship in the old way. He died once for all. He shed his blood to forgive us and set us free. So we don't need that. But also, back in that time, they began to have synagogues. And they were local places where the Jewish community could gather. And probably the main emphasis was on hearing the word of God read out and uh, often a sermon about it. So Jewish communities would gather, began to gather at synagogues then, and they still gather at synagogues today. So it's an important thing. Okay, what can we learn from that? Learning from the Jews. I think there's two key places to be nurtured in the faith And that's uh, very clear in the Jewish community. And those are in the home and in the synagogue. And so if we want to follow Jesus, then we want to see the nurture of Christian faith in homes and also the nurture of Christian faith in our equivalent, I suppose, of the synagogue, the church. And those two things are really, really key. And if you want to follow Jesus, the same is true today. And we're very thankful in this church for people like Yvonne and Pippa for doing the positive parenting course, talking about how to raise young children, but doing it not just physically, not just the normal issues in life, but spiritually. How do we nurture children spiritually at home? That's very, very important. It's very challenging. You know, I don't know how we did. I think Yvonne was better than me. Uh, in our home, trying to raise children and give spiritual input at home. But it's really crucial. We can't farm it out to hoping a Christian group does the work for us. And it's not just um, trying to read the Bible occasionally or whatever. Children obviously look at how we live. And uh, Yvonne's told this before. I remember our son Sam, we were going to leave him at home for a couple of hours. He was 10 and he thought he's, he's sensible enough to stay at home. Uh, for a couple of hours while we go out and uh, Yvonne wanted to make sure he's kind of up to speed with anything that could go wrong so she said what would you do if the smoke alarm went off so you know it could could happen could be a danger what would you do and he said he'd get a tea towel and he'd wave it (laughs) at the smoke alarm (laughs) while shouting Um, that didn't give us total confidence that he would escape the burning house But he'd grown up in our home, and when it goes off, that's exactly what you see done. So it's quite challenging, isn't it? So it's not what you say, it's what you do, Uh, and that's a real challenge. And we need to know, if we're in families, how to nurture faith in the home. We need to pray for a lot of them are out the room now with young children, people with young children, that they will uh, know how to nurture faith in their own homes. And the other area, of course, is church, and that's a crucial area. Um, Bill Hybels, leader of a very large church, always says the local church is the hope of the world. And we want churches where God is honored and we learn more about faith and how to follow Jesus. 
I saw a video clip, it's probably worth watching, a guy called Jay John, quite a well-known evangelist. He's actually taking on Arsenal football ground this summer to do a gospel meeting. Uh, so you could go along to that if you've got a friend to take. Uh, and he travels a lot and he said he sat on a plane, there's this woman next to him and they say kind of hi and then uh, he said what do you do and she told him and then she says what do you do? And he thought, I'm a pastor, I'm an evangelist, how do I explain what I do? And he said something like this, and you can watch it on YouTube, it's better than, than I put it across. He said, well, I work for a global enterprise. And she was like, wow. And he said, we've got an outlet in every country of the world. And she was really impressed. We run hospices and hospitals, we run food banks and schools and education programs. Uh, we campaign for justice and reconciliation. We're into behavioral modification and alteration. And we care for people from the cradle to the grave, globally. And she said, wow, what is it called? He said, it's the church. <laughs> Fantastic. He, he does it much better than me. But the church is so significant. You know, we can feel so weak and insignificant. Oh, it's just church. But imagine gatherings of Christians. Think about the millions there are around the world in every 24 hours. That's making a huge witness to the whole world, and it's really, really important. So before we finish and get on with the baptism, by the way, that's a, a photo of the inside of Catford Synagogue. So if you're wondering where that is, that's Catford Synagogue. You can go along. Um, you have to tell them in advance, not because they're funny about you, but because of they're scared of terrorist attacks. So you can't just turn up. Uh, sadly, you have to book in advance. But you can go and watch a service in a synagogue. Let's just learn a bit more about Jesus in the synagogue, and then we'll come to the baptism stories very soon. So what was Jesus' lifestyle? He went to worship. He got up on a... well. I don't know whether the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, was obviously Friday night at dusk through to Saturday afternoon. So either after dinner on Friday night he went to the synagogue or he got up on Saturday morning and went to the synagogue. It was his habit to go and worship. And so you have all can polish your halos. You're being where Jesus would be. You're following Jesus this morning. You're here. He went to weekly worship, I believe, the Sabbath, or, uh, and over the centuries of the early church, we moved to a Sunday, because that was the day that the Lord rose again, so that became the Lord's Day. So whether it's a Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday, or whether it's a Sunday, I believe he was almost certainly involved in weekly worship of God with others. It says it was his custom. He went every week, probably. It was his habit a holy habit in his life and obviously I'm kind of in the business so I would say this but it seems that where would Jesus be he'd be in fellowship with other believers he'd come to worship he would come regularly that's where he'd be week by week and it's a really good and holy habit and sometimes church we're not seen as the hope of the world we're not seen as this global organization that does more good than anything else in the entire globe in the name of Jesus. It's a pastime, it's a leisure time, it's a maybe I'll go at Christmas and Easter, 
It's if I haven't got too much going on in my busy life, I might squeeze it in. That doesn't seem to be the way that Jesus lived. So encouragements to you. You're here today. You're following in Jesus' footsteps. And it says that it's where he was brought up. So he's back in Nazareth, and it's where he was brought up. And it seems to be not only his habit each week, but a habit instilled in him from childhood. And so it can be a struggle and an effort to to get here and bring your kids here. But Jesus had that throughout his life from childhood. It was a habit that grew through his life and a habit he committed to in adulthood and in his ministry. So those are a few little learning things from Jesus. Let's look briefly at the synagogue pattern and then we'll finish up with what Jesus said. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, synagogues were just kind of beginning at this time and this account in Luke's Gospel that Scott read earlier on is the earliest account we've got in history of a synagogue service. Um, And so it hasn't got too many details in it, but uh, it's one of the early accounts. But piecing this account together with a few others historically, this seems to be the kind of pattern of worship they had. and Maybe we could learn from it. We're not bound by it but just worth thinking about to learn from. They would enter the synagogue and quietly have some personal prayer. And maybe think about that. Yeah, could I come along and just connect with God quietly at the beginning of the time? Then they had the public confession of faith. And this was to say something like the Shema from Deuteronomy. I think we're going we're to say it together, I think. How about that? We'll make that public confession of faith. It's the next slide, Jess. Let's say this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Thank you very much. They would say that and declare that. And that was so ingrained in Jesus' life that he would say later on in his ministry, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then there'd be some prayers Uh, the Tefillah and the Shimonei Ezra, I think, and then the scripture readings. And uh, the scripture was at the heart of the service. And if you put the two slides on, please, Jess, um, that's the scroll they would have. Jewish scriptures are in scrolls. If you go to Catholic Synagogue, uh, there's a kind of shrine at one side, and they have scrolls there of scriptures. All of them are the Torah, and the Jewish scriptures are in three groups, and they, they take letters from each group and make the name Tanakh to describe the Jewish scriptures. And the three groups are the Torah. What's the Torah? Pardon? First five books of the Bible, which are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Fantastic. And that's uh, the heart of the scriptures. Then the Nebuim are the 
the prophets, the prophetic books, and the Kethubim, the other writings like the Psalms. And that targets there because the Jews very much saw the scriptures as three main blocks with the, the Torah, the first five books, as the heart of the scriptures that they would read. In Catford Synagogue, they go through the Torah each year. Every year they read through the first five books. And then a second level was the prophets and a third level was the writings. So there was a heart and priority in those things. And uh, in Jesus' time, there was almost certainly the reading from the Torah. And then he was given the book of Isaiah, so one of the, the prophets to read as well. And then back to our, our um, pattern. Then there was a talk. And interestingly enough, you, you stood up to read the scriptures in respect for God's word. You would stand up to read the scriptures and then you'd sit down to do the preach. I won't do that now, um, but that's what they used to do, sit down to do the preach. Interesting. But probably and almost certainly in discussion style, question and answer to tease out the meaning of the words that they've read in the scriptures. And then there will be a closing prayer and they'd all go home and have lunch or an evening meal or whatever. So that was the, the pattern. And there's good things in there. It's not a fixed system that we have to follow, but interesting to learn from Jesus' experience and learn from the practice then. And finally, a bit of learning for us here from Jesus. He knew the Bible. He knew the Bible. He was given the scroll and he read from the prophet Isaiah. What did he say? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he, was, he probably asked for that scroll. He went to it. He knew where to go. And those verses seem to be a combination between Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 and Isaiah 58 verse 6. So two bits in Isaiah he put together. He knew his Bible. And throughout his life, when he was tempted by the devil, what did he do? He said, it is written. That's not right. And then when the devil misquoted scripture <laughs> to him, he knew more scripture to come back at the devil every time in his temptation. He knew God's word, and that was very, very important and very precious. He chose his manifesto, those words from Isaiah. What a wonderful manifesto. I did a quick Google last night on Donald Trump's manifesto. You know, let's build a few walls and hate a few people. But this is fantastic, isn't it? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Good news for the poor. Setting the oppressed free. The blind seeing. The favorable year of the Lord coming. And that's absolutely wonderful. And Jesus finds his purpose. I'm the one that's fulfilling these scriptures in my life. I'm living for this. I'm living for the kingdom. I'm living out this manifesto. I want to bring justice. I want to bring healing. I want to bring truth and light into the world. I'm going to announce God's wonderful gospel of salvation. He found his purpose in these manifesto words. And I think if we want to be where Jesus would be, and following Jesus' steps, we can find a purpose for ourselves.
within the wonderful message that Jesus made his manifesto. And he says, in me today, these words have begun to be fulfilled. And the day of salvation, the day where you can meet Jesus and be saved and be accepted into the Father's family and have all your sins forgiven, that day started on this day with Jesus. And it's a true today. Today is the day of salvation. You can know God in your life in a real way, even today. And it's really, really wonderful. And then finally, it gets a bit controversial. Uh, and they like the good words coming out of his mouth. It's wonderful. He's speaking his words of wisdom and grace. And it's wonderful when people can feel the words of God, the spirit of God. And they love the gracious words that we're sharing and Jesus shared here. But then he said that God's purposes aren't for people that are religious and proud of it and self-sufficient. They're for the foreigners. They're for the aliens. They're for the outcasts. This is why God has come. And they were totally offended. And they tried to cast him out and kill him in their offense. So following Jesus is wonderful. It's full of blessing. We hear the Father's voice. We feel his affirmation. It's great to be part of what he's doing in this world. Uh, but also, there's going to be controversy, and there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be cost, and that's part of the reality. I hope those remarks uh, are helpful in our following of Jesus, and we've come to the point where we're going to hear a couple of people's stories. Before that, could you just flick on a couple of... We've got some old pictures here of baptisms. I don't know if you recognize anyone in that photo. But uh, in a paddling pool... Uh, on a, a sunnier day in a more... When were you baptized? July. July. She's soft. She went for the kind of summer July time. But also in this church, next slide, it's very dangerous to hand over a mic to someone with a bit less hair than he's got now. Give us a wave, Isaac. And he's hardcore. There's a kind of Christmas tree there, so it must have been it was December. He's hardcore. Well done, Isaac. But we're going to hear today from uh, two people. And the first is Noel, Noel Bevin. And he's going to come up. Give him a round of applause. And Noel, I'd just like you to tell us a bit about your growing up and then what happened recently, last year, and then how you come to faith and why you're here today is that okay thank you hello i'm noel by the way um yes uh, uh, as you can tell from the accent um i'm irish born and bred um i was uh born and raised a cat well i wasn't born a catholic but i was raised a catholic um and that wasn't bad um i went to church every sunday because we did that was the reason i went to church um and, and I enjoyed most of it. Mostly we looked to see which priest was doing what mass. So we could see which was the shortest one. Um, and that was always Father Fitzpatrick because he wanted to get to the match as well. Um, um, and then in my teens, the only reason I went to mass was to get the Sunday papers on the way back down. Um, and up to when I was about 14, I couldn't miss mass because my grandmother would know. Um, because she knew where we were all of the time. 
And I, I wasn't afraid of um, missing Mass because God might know. I was afraid because Nan would know. Um, and then about 17 or 18, it just went away. I didn't go anymore. And for the rest of my life, I only ever spoke to God when it was needed. Please, God, help me out here. Please, God, help me out here. Um, and the funny thing was, he always did, strangely enough. Um, and then as soon as whatever I wanted to happen, happened, I'd stop praying again. And I still thought I was a Christian. Um, and I thought I was, I was doing okay. Um, uh, and things happened in my life. My first marriage fell apart. I lost my home. Um, I lost my job. Uh, I was living over here. And I was lost. I was completely lost, but I didn't realize it. Um, but there were still good things happening in it. Millie is one of them. Um, and and I, did, I didn't realize that I, I thought I was doing okay because I was still finding these little good things. Um, but as my friend Jack once pointed out, sometimes when you're stumbling around in the dark, you just come across these things by chance more than by blessing. But I was still being blessed. And then about two years ago, I was walking in a, pr I was a prison officer, and I was walking in hell, basically. Um, and, and on this particular evening, I was first unseen to a double murder in, in the prison. Um, and, and I was confronted by a guy, or two guys actually, standing there covered in blood with knives in their hands. Um, and a friend of mine uh, who came in behind me, said to me as we ran into the, to the wing, this is going to hurt. Um, luckily, the first um, person who committed the murder dropped the knife. But um, I don't know if any of you are prison officers, you know, um, what you do, you have to take that person to the floor. And I was the first to him, so I had to grab him by the head. And I'm in a white shirt, black tie, and a black shorts. And as I dropped him to the floor, I was covered in blood. Um, and he was covered in blood. And he was fighting, he was biting, he was punching. and. But we got him restrained. And when I got him up and we got the cuffs from him and all of that, um, I, I was just, I was at an end then. I couldn't take it anymore. I was covered in blood. I don't know whose blood it was. I don't know whether he'd stabbed me, whatever. He was taken away. We were washed off. We had to go for these tests and give blood tests and all of that. And at that point, I said, to, I have to get out of here. And at that moment, it was the moment it all changed for me. Um, the next day, the job I'm in now, where I work on, I work on a train station, um, they rang me and said, would you like to start this job? The next day, um, I said, yes, please. Um, so I left the prison service three days later. I went to work in the train station. Um, and I walked in the train station for a few months. And I saw this wonderful woman run past me in a blur, my lovely Esther. And I just instantly fell in love with her. Um, but that went on for a few weeks. She'd pass every now and then. And apart from the fact that she's gorgeous, there was always something else about her, this, this energy I couldn't explain. And when we eventually got talking and she told me a bit more about herself and I asked her out, um, she openly talked about Jesus. Um, and, and I said, well, there's something about you. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's... There's a light, there's a beam, I don't understand it. And she said, well, that's Jesus. And I thought, okay, not the answer I was expecting, but, you know. <laughs> um, I thought, tell me more about this Jesus. I thought I knew Jesus. 
Um, and slowly but surely, she invited me here. And I came here and I sat over there and, and Alison sang and I cried the whole service. Um, not because Alison was singing. Um, well, it was because Alison was singing, but she was singing so beautiful. Um, and, and the first thing that happened when I walked in here was Alison said, would you like to come for dinner? And I thought, yeah, well, I, I thought she meant like weeks in advance, but she didn't, she meant that day. Um, and I went and Alison introduced me to her family and we sat and we had this massive meal and I'm sure you all know Alison's um, wonderful husband, who is my twin, by the way. Um, we just laughed all day and I sat there and thought, so this is what Christianity is. They've just invited a complete stranger into the house and given him a meal and, and welcomed him in. And it went from there. So uh, as, as Esther and I fell in love, um, I began to fall in love with Jesus. And um, about two or three weeks later, I was at home in a flat that I no longer live in. And I was, it was three o'clock in the morning and I had this knot here, this absolute knot here. And I couldn't figure it out. And I, couldn't, I was walking around the flat, almost screaming, but inside. And I just stood in front of the bathroom mirror and I said, I don't want to be who I am anymore. I really don't. And it went like that. This light went, or this energy went, this hate went. And it was filled with something that I can only describe as complete not a joy. And I cried and cried and cried, but it was just joyful tears. Um, and, and suddenly this light came on in my life. And all the things that had happened in my life, I realized I'd been looking back at. I hadn't been looking forward. So God, just, Jesus just literally turned me around. He said, there's the world. Go and, go and do what you need to do. And don't be afraid. And I'm not afraid anymore. And that's the big difference in me. I'm not afraid. Um, and I... I don't know what I want to do. I mean, God took me out of that prison and he put me on, the, on the, the train station. And he put me there so I could meet Esther. And Esther introduced Jesus to me. And that's all she did. She introduced Jesus to me. She didn't do anything else. She didn't push it. She didn't shove it. And then I put my arms out to Jesus and he welcomed me. And he's changed me. And, and through that, um, he's helped Millie to get to know Jesus. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a snowball effect now. And no, I know I don't want to be walking in the train station for the rest of my life. But when I'm there, I use every conversation to talk about Jesus. I just get it in, wherever it comes from. Um, and I love it. And it's changed so many people's lives in there. Um, there's one of the girls there, Rachel. She's, she's going to have a baby in about three or four months' time. Um, and she goes to church every week now because of a conversation we had one night. Um, so that baby is now going to know church, you know, so it's, it's an ongoing story. Um, and, and as I said to Esther, I don't know where we're going, but I don't care, because Jesus will just tell us where to go and when to go. Um, and then the, 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 the best part of the whole um, story is Esther and I get married in July. Um, and, and we just want people to come and... and, and see Jesus in action because he's brilliant he's just and and after that who knows but well he does it's that simple and that's basically why I'm here today thank you very much thank you very much Noel Millie are you ready do you think you could come up here and say why you'd like to be baptized today big round of applause for Millie come on you like talking to that? 
Hi, I'm Millie, I'm 12. Um, I'm shaking already and I'm not even in the pool, so. Um, well, I, I'm going second because I made Dad go first, because last night he said to me, so have you got anything planned to say? And I went, nah, I'm gonna wing it. And then I went, have you got anything planned to say? And he went, nah, I'm gonna wing it. So he went first and now I'm winging it. Um, well, I thought, well, we went to church for every Christmas, Dad? Okay. Uh, yeah, every Christmas. Um, and it was a big old stone church, and everybody wore big long robes, and it was mightily boring. It was really boring. I mean, they did show, like, the art and stuff, and there was the hymns, but it, it was pretty boring. And then, before Dad met Esther, actually... I, about Easter, I wanted to start going again, but that habit fell away pretty quickly because it was boring. And uh, w even when Dad first got into it, I thought it was boring. And I thought it was freaky. I thought he was weird. I told him it was weird, and it was weird. Um, and then at Christmas, he, he took me to... Um, well, Esther was interpreting the... You weren't interpreting, you were interpreting. Yeah, Esther was interpreting the HTV um, Christmas carol service, and so she got Dad and I tickets, and we went, and Nikki Gumbel did a really good speech involving ice cream and stuff, and who doesn't love ice cream? Um, and I thought it wasn't so freaky and boring, and now I'm getting baptised, so yay. <laughs> got a certificate for each of you, Noel, uh, with baptism verse, Joshua 1 verse 9. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Millicent, John 15 verse 4 in the message version. Jesus said, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined to me. And now you are, so you're going to bear loads of good fruit in your life. That's great. <laughs>